0: You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who
1: love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about parenting, but first let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what is new with you? I have been anticipating my birthday, which is something
0: I do all year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it ramps up when it gets closer.
0: (laughs) It does. It does. I'm always telling Neil, it's really close to my birthday, and he is always denying that fact, but... It is actually true now as my birthday is less than a week away. Yes. And one of my favorite things to do is to just spend time contemplating all the food I want to eat and Mm. all the things that I want to do in Mm -hmm. the time that I carve out for myself on my birthday. So I'm planning a lovely cheese plate for myself. Amazing. Made the mistake of mentioning to my kids that I was planning to do that on my birthday, and now they want to eat it. (laughs) So foolish. (laughs) And I have a book that I am saving to read that morning. I'm not going to do any work while my kids are in care that morning and just eat my cheese, drink my coffee, and read
1: my book. I am very much looking forward to it. (laughs) Sounds amazing. What has been happening with you? So our Instagram followers will have seen this, but... For anyone who doesn't follow us on Instagram, the other day, I sat on our coffee table to put my shoes on. This is something I've done hundreds of times. It's like a bench-style coffee table. I mean, it could be a bench instead of a coffee table. We don't know (laughs) because it was a secondhand win that my mother-in-law bought at a garage sale. So it might have been a bench. But then I sat on it, and it completely collapsed. One of the legs broke off. One of the ex-posts split. So maybe it was just one too many times of sitting on it. (laughs) But anyway, I found myself much lower to the ground. And luckily, I didn't get hurt. Luckily, Plum wasn't standing on it. I mean, she's been standing Mm -hmm. on that coffee table since she could stand, basically, because she's been climbing forever. So I might have been able to fix it, but that would have involved cutting wood. So I just got on the Buy Nothing group and said, hey, broke my coffee table by sitting on it. But then someone offered us this coffee table that they had in storage that is beautiful. And so then on the Buy Nothing group, I put the broken coffee table up and said, hey, does anyone else want to have this <laughs> Want broken... these shards of wood? <laughs> well, the top is actually intact still. OK. So I basically just said, if you could use the top for something else, let me know. And then someone wants it. So it's this beautiful buy nothing circle where we have this awesome new coffee table and then someone else is putting the broken one to use. I love it. Okay, now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? I just
0: finished Sing Unburied Sing by Jesmyn Ward, and this was last year's National Book Award winner. So I had been hearing a lot of talk about it, And actually, both our virtual book club and my in-person book club are reading it in the next few months. Mm -hmm. It follows a family that lives in Mississippi near the coast, and it centers around Jojo, who is a 13-year-old boy. And he has a black mother and a white father, and he lives in his grandparents' house, who are the people who are parenting him the most. The story centers around a road trip the family takes to go get Michael, who is JoJo's father, from Parchman, which is the Mississippi State Penitentiary. So in a lot of ways, the story is this coming of age for JoJo as he's trying to negotiate his role in the family and which parental figure of his he wants to emulate and Hmm. how he is going to do that. Hmm. It also interweaves stories from the past and it goes between the perspectives mostly of Jojo and his mom, but there's also a ghost from the time when Jojo's grandfather was in Parchman mm. back in the 1940s. Hmm. So there's a lot of contrast between what was life like in the 1940s in Mississippi and what is it like now and really the ways in which many things have not changed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of racial dynamics with Jojo having a white father and a Black mother, and the ways those families interact or really don't interact. I loved the portrayal of Mississippi. It was so rich and was such an integral part of the story. Mm. And also the way the characters themselves were developed, that they are all complex and flawed, but their humanity comes through in this beautiful way. I didn't love the supernatural elements of the story, I felt like they pulled me out of the story instead of taking me deeper into it. Hmm. And was hard for me to let go of my this isn't real, <laughs> that wouldn't happen and to just take the story in.
1: Yeah, kind of be in it, let it carry
0: you away. Yes. It felt a lot like a book I would read in high school, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean that there were so many layers to it and as I was reading, I could feel that I was going across the surface Hmm. and that there was more to get out of it, which makes me really glad both my book clubs are reading it because Mm -hmm. I think I will be able to get to another level with it with other people that I wasn't able to get on my own reading. Hmm. So I definitely would recommend it. And if listeners have read it or are going to read it, I would love to discuss it.
1: I'm really looking forward to reading it, too. I've heard pretty mixed feedback on it. It
0: wasn't a book I walked away from thinking, I just loved that book. Mm-hmm. But I am glad I read it. And I think it will make for great discussion at book club. Yeah. What have you been reading?
1: I recently finished listening to Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And Eleanor Oliphant, the main character, struggles with social skills in life. So she seems like she's neuroatypical. But Eleanor has a lot of childhood trauma that gets told as we go through her life in the present time, and she flashes back. And that made it a darker book maybe than I was expecting, but I really liked it. And I'm not usually one for reading about child abuse, and I don't usually find that to be entertaining, but it really felt realistic and not gratuitous. And like it was really important to her story. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. I wish that I was in a book club that was reading this because I feel like you do about Sing Unburied. Sing, I think that I think that there were things that I couldn't get to because I was so wrapped up in the story. Mm -hmm. And that talking about it with someone, even one other person, but a group of book lovers would be even better to hear what people thought about it and what they took from it. Well, we can discuss it
0: once my hold comes in at the library, because after I got a very animated Vox from you one night talking about how much you were loving this audiobook, Mm -hmm. I put it on hold. And it's one that I had heard about, but I think I didn't really know what it was about Mm -hmm. because I had imagined it being lighter.
1: Yes, me too.
0: And had seen it around a lot and thought, oh, that looks okay, but it wasn't jumping to the top of my list. But, as you know, I do like reading darker things. Mm-hmm. and this sounds like the kind of book like that that I will really enjoy.
1: Yeah, it is dark, and it is really intense. and I think I got further in the book after I left you that box. Mm-hmm. And I might not have felt so animated about it mm-hmm. had I been a little further along in the book, right. But I still have no regrets about reading it. I mean, all of the tough stuff is offset by really beautiful friendships, what felt like a really realistic relationship with her therapist. And there's a cat at the end, and I just love cats. (laughs) A friend described it as a warm book, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which felt really perfect. And also, I can highly recommend the audiobook because it's set in Scotland and the reader does amazing accents. Nice. So I'm glad you're going to read it so that we can have a chat. We're going to start our discussion of parenting by talking about our general philosophies.
0: So when I was first answering this question, I felt like my mind was all over the place with trying to encapsulate what is important to us about parenting. But when it came down to it, the words that really surfaced for me were trust, respect, and simplify. I think the trust is about trusting our kids to become who they're going to be Hmm. and to trust who they are right now and respect both for them and for us as parents and holding boundaries around that. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of simplifying, just saying no to too many toys, too many screens and too many activities. And that's been something that's felt really central to us is just... Focusing on our family unit and what is most important to us and being able to show that to our kids by living out our values and by prioritizing the basics instead of getting caught up on the treadmill of parenting.
1: I think it's so easy to be on that treadmill. And I'm so thankful that you and I are friends because whenever I feel pressure to do swim lessons or dance class or music class, which... There is a lot of pressure, even for Plum, who just turned two. Mm -hmm. I think about what you guys do and how you prioritize time as a family, and that has been a touchstone for me.
0: I think it's not just time as a family, but also prioritizing that blank space Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. making time for rest and that that is a value of ours. I think a lot of that has to do with our family's personalities. We're all very strong introverts. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for lots of families and kids, but I feel like it is central to who we are and being Mm. our best selves is having that empty space in our schedule and lives. So it's not that there's not value in those other things, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but that for our family, it's felt really important to limit our involvement in outside activities.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So, my general philosophy is centered on viewing and treating children as whole people from the very beginning. Yes. This isn't just parenting. This is how I treated the kids that I cared for when I was a nanny. So, how that has looked is being really clear about my expectations, sharing my feelings with her in an age appropriate way, and doing my best to realize what's my stuff. So, if I'm frustrated about something, Is it because I'm bringing something in to our interaction that's frustrating me and separating that from whatever stuff is hers Mm -hmm. so that I don't take on her feelings and feel like I need to fix them or do something to change it?
0: Yes, I am on board with all of that. It has been great for me to have you as a sounding board as I've gone through this parenting years. And as you said, even though I had... Kids first, you were doing a lot of caretaking and had put a lot of thought into how you're interacting with kids and how you wanted to be as a parent. And that I feel like we've really influenced each other in a positive way Mm -hmm. or just realized the ways in which we're similar. Yeah. That's made me feel really supported as a parent in what I'm trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. We are lucky to have each other. (laughs) Yep. So looking back to our own childhoods, How do you think that the ways in which you were parented have influenced how you are as a parent?
0: Looking back, there are a lot of things I really appreciate about the way that I was raised that I am trying to emulate in my own parenting. I feel like my parents did a really great job of supporting who we were and never letting their sense of self be wrapped up in our successes and failures. Mm. I talked about this a little bit on our sports episode last year, but even at the time, recognized how rare that was Mm, and how mm -hmm. many of my friends had parents who had too much of their own self wrapped up in what their kids were doing in a way that put this pressure on their kids and made them feel like their self-worth was in how they performed. Mm. I always felt like anything related to my academics or sports or extracurriculars That was just something I did. It was never who I was. I love that. I also feel like my mom was so calm, but also firm Hmm. that she didn't have to say what the expectations were because they were so clear to us and that she held those boundaries in a way that I also try to do, sometimes more successfully than (laughs) others. (laughs) Sure. And that's also a really nice thing with Having my parents as grandparents is really trusting that they're on the same page in terms of how we parent because I am trying to parent in a similar way. Mm -hmm. So I know that my kids are going to be getting the same thing from them that they would be getting from me. Not exactly, but on those big overarching points, we have the same goals. Right. My siblings may or may not agree with this because I think we all had very different experiences growing up. But as the youngest of four, I still really felt seen as an individual and like they didn't compare me to my brothers or sister and that they let each of us be who we were. And that's something I want to do with my kids as well.
1: Nice. I've never felt so reflective of the ways I was parented. As I have since having my own kid. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I don't think it's possible that my experience can not influence how I am as a parent. But one of my favorite things that I take from my parents and their parenting is that they were both often just delighted with my sister and me, Hmm. they laughed at our jokes. They told stories over and over again of funny, smart things we'd said when we were younger. They pointed out to us when we made decisions that were hard, that they felt were right. So really acknowledged that. And I think it was a way to instill confidence in me that wasn't about praising achievements. Right. Because the things I'm thinking about are things that were just inherent to who I was. So you know, just saying random funny things because I was, you know, kind of a quirky kid, That they were (laughs) delighted in that. And I think that really helped me find a sense of self separate from achievements. So I try and let Plum know often things that delight me about her. I love that. How has your parenting changed since your kids were younger?
0: I think I've had to let go of a lot of ideals that I held and... Recognize that I know what kind of parent I want to be, but I'm not always going to be able to be that person. Totally. And to be perfectly honest, I feel like since he was born, it has been a lot harder to be that kind of parent. And I know I may be looking back on HP's first couple years when he was our only child with rose colored glasses, but it just has felt a lot harder to be available and present in the same way that I was when. I only had HP.
1: I mean, I'm parenting just one kid now, and I think it's significantly easier for me to be present for just one kid. Mm -hmm. And thinking about potentially in the future adding another kid, I've been noticing times where it's clear that that would really change the relationship that I have with Plum. And like you're saying, being present for a newborn is really different when you have a toddler.
0: Yes. And I think I let some of those boundaries go that I felt like I held really firmly. Mm. And then just in the act of trying to survive, I did what I needed to do to make it through and often took the path of least resistance. And I don't want to say I feel great about that, but I also think that I can recognize that I'm doing the best that I can do. Mm -hmm. And also that my kids are getting something really wonderful in having each other. Right. And so I think sometimes I'm better than others at giving myself that grace. But when I step back, I can see that I may not be doing things the way that if I were not in it, that I would tell myself I should be doing it. But the truth is I am in it and that I have my own emotions and feelings and good days and bad days and accepting that as part of the whole package.
1: Mm -hmm. And what that reminds me of is this idea of an aspirational or ideal self. Yes. And to me, that's what I feel like has changed since Plum was really little. And it didn't change right away. I think a lot of people, and I've probably mentioned this on the pod before, but I think a lot of people have this realization when they have a newborn of how much their life has changed. And to me, that felt really delayed. Like it didn't really hit me till she got much more interactive and demanding, and that's when it hit me. And so in that first year, I had a pretty easy baby, and it was pretty easy to be an ideal parent. (laughs) Now, as she's come into who she is even more, I've really had to prioritize things like Mm self-care and do better about making boundaries for her, but also for me in terms of where my expectations are for instance, I get frustrated when I try and do work when she's awake and she needs things, but that's not her fault.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She's a toddler. She needs someone to take care of her and I am the candidate who is there. Right. So that's about my unrealistic expectations. And so I'm constantly revising my viewpoint to get it more toward reality and to do a better job meeting her where she is. And in my ideal world, I would do that really well all the time. hmm I would say it's a definite process. Yes. What do you like best about parenting?
0: I really love seeing who my kids are becoming. Mm. And I just really like them. (laughs) I really like my kids. They are awesome. (laughs) And I do think they're really funny and smart and interesting. And I just really like spending time with them. And I felt that more and more as they get older mm. and better able to show me who they are. It's made me really value one-on-one time with my kids. I love seeing them interact with each other and play with each other, but that can often devolve at some point <laughs> <laughs> into conflict. Where when I get to just hang out with one of them, it feels really easy and enjoyable.
1: I feel the same way. That's my favorite thing about parenting is hanging out with my kid, especially if she gets more verbal and can tell me what she's thinking, because clearly she's been thinking thoughts all along and been communicating in many ways. Mm -hmm. But the more we have shared language, the more I just really appreciate her perspective and her sense of humor. So the flip side of that is what do you like least about parenting?
0: I don't really like playing with my kids. (laughs) Me neither. And I think that's true for lots of people. So it's not something I feel any guilt about. Nope. I'm not a kid. So I don't want to play pretend for hours on end or...
1: Or school bus or little people. Yes. Or put all the babies to bed and wake them back up 8 million times.
0: (laughs) Yes. None of that is for me. And... I've known that about myself from the beginning, and I think this is another thing I took from my mom is she doesn't want to do that, and she wasn't going to do that, and she spent a lot of time with us, but there was never this idea that she was there to entertain us, Mm -hmm. and I very much feel that about my kids. Entertain yourselves. (laughs) It's something we've really worked on from the very beginning. I like the spin on it of encouraging independent play. (laughs) Right. And I think it's a valuable skill for them to learn and mm-hmm. figure out how to be with themselves and interact with each other and play with other kids. But that's not my role. And I am unapologetic about that.
1: Yeah, I feel that way, too. And I think there is a lot of guilt and pressure on parents to play with your kids and entertain them. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It does serve them to figure out how to do it themselves.
0: And as a parent who has been home with my kids full time, it's also very unrealistic to expect that I would be able to devote every waking moment to having these picture-perfect moments with us on the floor playing together. Yeah. That's not what life looks like or what I want it to look like even.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have other things going on.
0: Yes. What have you liked least about parenting?
1: Probably the stuff. There's Mm, just so much of it. (laughs) Yes. And we live in a small space and we purge regularly, but there are just some things that you just have to hang on to. Mm-hmm. I mean, one reason I'm really looking forward to having another kid sometime in future is to be able to get rid of all the newborn stuff. Yes. <laughs> to use it and then pass it along.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I was shipping things to you because <laughs> yes. you were pregnant with Plum when he was growing out of things. It's like, take it all. It
1: take was it all. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> People just give you a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and then, you know, wanting to respect Plum's autonomy and her choices and her preferences, but then also not wanting to have to swim through toys. It's just a hard balance.
0: Yes, I am big on making the executive decisions, rethinks things that make me crazy in my house.
1: <laughs> I just did a huge <laughs> purge and it felt really good, but there's still so much.
0: And sometimes that backfires. E asked me last night as she was going to bed where the pool noodle that HP at one point had chewed on and had teeth marks all over it and had been starting to disintegrate into pieces was. It's like, hmm, wonder where that is. The trash from a long time ago. But
1: <laughs> yeah, we were pulling out toys to give away on the Buy Nothing group. And when you pull them out, it's like mm-hmm. they're so excited to play with them. They're like, oh, this, oh, this. And so I put things out on the porch for people to go grab. And after her nap, she was like, "Where veggies, Where babies. Yes. And I said, they're going to live at somebody else's house. Usually they don't notice. But then there
0: was something that we gave away on a buy nothing group. And HP never would have noticed their absence, except Mm -hmm. he saw me putting them out and asked what was happening. And I told them we were giving them to another family that would use them. And for years- He kept asking me about that thing, and I just thought he never would have noticed.
1: Yep. What has been the hardest thing about parenting for you?
0: I have a lot to say about this question. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing that's been really hard for me as an introvert is not having very many moments that are truly mine. While I think my kids are great at playing on their own and finding things to do around the house, I never know when those moments are going to come. And so I am always partly on. Yeah. That's something that's gotten easier as they've gotten older, and I know will only become more that way. Mm -hmm. Now I have every morning of the week that they are both in some kind of care, but that was not the case until this year. Right. So that was a long time of feeling like I just had to grab every second that I could Mm -hmm. and was very hard for me. And I think that's something that many people struggle with, that loss of free time and autonomy over your time.
1: Yep. I'm not an introvert, but I experienced something similar. As I already mentioned, you know, as Plum has gotten more demanding, it's felt less like I'm the one making the decisions and I can just decide something to go for a walk, to take a nap, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't have those options because she's a toddler, so her needs often come before mine. Right. Right. Another thing that has been hard for me is just
0: how humbling the whole parenting endeavor is Mm -hmm. and knowing my kids are not products I am creating and I cannot control everything or really anything that they say or do. They're their own people and it's hard to separate my own self from that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and to not be wrapped up in everything they do or say reflects on me as a parent and That's not to make excuses for their behavior or or say that I have no role in that, Mm -hmm. but there also has to be that line between, am I worried about this because of how it makes me look as a parent when Mm -hmm. my child is behaving this way or having a meltdown, or am I worried about how my kid is doing? And I've just really had to put on the blinders and think, my job is to worry about my child, not to worry about all the noise around me. Mm -hmm. But that's really hard to do.
1: I think it's especially hard as a mother, and I don't want to get all gender stereotyped, Mm -hmm. but I do think that people look to moms more about the behavior of their kids. Mm -hmm. Don't love that. Think that it's pretty ridiculous. But it does feel really hard to fight against that, especially when you're the parent that is home with them. Right. Like It
0: feels like it's my job to have well-mannered, polite kids Mm -hmm. who are acceptable out in the world. The reality is my kids have good days and bad days just like I do, and they're kids who are still learning how to regulate their emotions and work through all that. Totally. And the final one I want to talk about is just recognizing that I can't do it for my kids. Mm. And especially as they're getting older, seeing them in really tough social and emotional situations and – knowing that either I can't or I shouldn't because it's not my role to step in Mm -hmm. and just trusting that they're going to figure it out and they're going to find a way through. But that's really hard.
1: It's so hard. That's probably my hardest thing. That I've struggled with since Plum was really little. I just remember FaceTiming with my mom, and you know, I was postpartum, so I had all these hormones going too, and I'm a crier anyway, but I was just like, the world is so big and she is so little. And that sentiment is true in the social and emotional things. Mm -hmm. You know, she's just starting to encounter that stuff as she goes to school and sort of broadens her social world beyond us and close family and friends. And then there are all these really big world things too yes that we can do some things we can do the best we can to make things better for everyone to worry about things like climate change and violence and misogyny but we can't put her in a bubble Mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing has been trying to support her to grow into the person she's meant to be and to sort of steward her as she grows but not try and control everything absolutely Let's finish up by talking about our favorite places to get parenting inspiration.
0: When my kids were younger, I really got a lot of value from the Rye philosophy. hmm And it's something you turned me on to. And most of that is around seeing infants and young children as whole people, the same way you talked about in your general philosophy. Right. And letting them have their feelings. Mm-hmm. And the idea of letting my kids express their feelings and not try to control or fix what they're feeling has been very powerful for me as a parent. Me too. And it's something that is important to me as an adult in my interactions with everyone in my life. And I want to offer that to my kids too. And I think that takes practice because when you see a crying child, you want to fix that Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what they need is just for you to recognize what they're feeling.
1: Right. As you mentioned, I really love Rye. I love the respect element. I love the feelings acknowledgement. I love the idea behind Rye that it has to work for both the parent and the child. Mm -hmm. Things like if you don't want to nurse your toddler, that... It's good to put a boundary in place. And then, rather than needing to fix it for them, you support them in their frustration or sadness or whatever comes. So, that I think was really helpful in giving me permission as a parent to take care of what I needed. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that most of the rye info I'm getting these days is from a Facebook group called Toasted Rye, where people <laughs> are not dogmatic. Yes. I found that rye, as disseminated from Some of the more visible leaders just doesn't always work for me. And I think, like you said, it's mostly for littler kids.
0: Mm -hmm. It's something I'm glad I was introduced to, Mm -hmm. but I haven't felt the need to reconnect with it. I feel like I've gotten the ideas I wanted from it. But as you said, when I had been checking in more regularly with blogs and podcasts and groups that are part of that, Mm -hmm. it's made me feel bad as a parent, which never feels like a good thing not a helpful resource (laughs) if that's how you feel after accessing it right in terms of books three books that I love are simplicity parenting Mm -hmm. which I just reread for the third time
1: I need to read that one I still haven't read it
0: I just purchased it, which, as you know, I am not a book purchaser.
1: Yeah, so it's one of the eight books you own now or something like that.
0: (laughs) But it's the opposite of how Rye makes me feel. When Mm. I read it, it makes me feel really rooted in who I am as a parent and what we're trying to accomplish and seeing the big picture. And some parts of it are a little bit (laughs) woo-woo or cheesy when you read it. But I love what it talks about removing the excess And just focusing on creating this rhythm for your kids and this really stable home base for them to come back to. Nice. Another book that I just purchased, I guess I've been on a bit of a book buying situation here. (laughs) A spree. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All two books. is How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. And I read How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's focused on older kids. Yeah. And I think a lot of it still applies at any age. Yeah. But I think that's a book I'll want to come back to as we enter the preteen and teen years. Definitely. But this one was specifically for the ages two to five. And... We'd been having some challenging situations, and reading it made me feel like, oh, I have resources to address this. I have some tools I can use. It was so judgment-free and made me feel like, you can mess up, and it's okay, and here's how you can get back on track, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, that was the wrong way to handle the situation. You failed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I got How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen for Christmas and I haven't read all of it, but I started it and I just loved the humor Mm -hmm. that it just felt like talking to a sort of funny, irreverent friend who had really good ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. That's one that Neil read and then we talked about it together Mm -hmm. and he even took notes about things that he wanted to remember from the book and Mm -hmm. ways that we can be implementing that and supporting each other as parents. I think in general, though, I know how I want to parent and I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. It's just that actually doing it is really hard when you're tired or hungry or emotional or worn out. So hard. So I like turning back to those resources that inspire me to do better Mm -hmm. without shaming you into feeling really bad about how you have done. Exactly. And then the final thing I'll say that we try and do is just remember the big picture of how do we want our kids to remember their childhood? Mm. We want them to have a happy childhood to look back on. And these small things that can feel really big aren't the big picture, but like what are they going to feel when -hmm. they look back on these years? So that's helped me put things in perspective and focus on connecting with them.
1: Nice. The other place that I really look for inspiration is other parents. Andrew and I bounce a lot of ideas off of each other. My mom is an awesome resource. As previously discussed, I love talking with you about parenting and get a lot of really good ideas from our conversations. I am lucky to have really good in person friends here from my birth class. My Facebook mom group, whom I've mentioned before, is such an amazing, non judgmental space. And because there are 44 of us, there are a lot of perspectives which can be really good because you and I share a lot of ideas. Andrew and I pretty similar. Right. Sometimes it can be nice to have something a little bit different, Mm -hmm. but still people that you care about that aren't going to shame you. Yes. And then the last person that I'll mention whom I've talked about on the pod before is Catherine Newman who's a writer who's written two different parenting memoirs, Waiting for Birdie, and then she wrote Catastrophic Happiness, which I think I talked about on the pod. Mm -hmm. And she also writes a blog, and I just love her. I love how she talks about her kids because I feel like she really is trying to do the thing where she's guiding them to become the people they are rather than trying to put her viewpoints or opinions on them. And she keeps it real. So her writing in any form, blog, essay, memoir, is something that I would really recommend for parenting.
0: I love what you said about having people you can talk to. Mm -hmm. And that has been so important to me, to have friends where I'm living Mm -hmm. that I'm in it with, and then also friends like you that I can talk to about it. Talking to Neil is great, and I love how much we're on the same team But sometimes he's too close to it to Mm. give me what I need. Totally. And that when things are going really poorly, it's nice to have somebody from the outside to say, you're doing a good job. You're a good parent. Right. Your kids are lucky to have you. Keep going. Hearing that from somebody who loves our family and knows our family has been a touchstone for me in
1: parenting. With that, I think we'll finish. But listeners, we'd love to hear from you about how you were parented and any great parenting resources that you'd suggest that we check out. Let's finish by talking about what we've been eating. Last night I made taco salad, and I was going to talk about some other food on the pod, but I just have to talk about this because it was so amazing. Something about it getting warmer, where I stop wanting to eat so much hot, heavy food but still want something really filling. And taco salad, I feel like, fits this perfectly. It's really easy. I just chopped and washed lettuce, red peppers, defrosted frozen corn, cooked up a pound of ground beef with taco seasoning, and then added black beans that were in our freezer from a previous Instant Pot black bean to that, so it would be both. And then we just layered it up, crushed tortilla chips on top, and then shredded cheese. And salsa. Didn't use a dressing because with the meat and beans, it was liquidy enough. But it was amazing. Andrew put sour cream on his, which I think would have also been good. But I was already eating mine and didn't want to get up again.
0: <laughs> Avocados would be really good, too.
1: I think that there are a lot of ways that you could go. And then we gave it to Plum, just deconstructed. So it was an easy thing to bring the two-year-old in on, to.
0: Sounds really delicious.
1: What have you been eating, Sarah? So lately, my
0: kids have not been enjoying all of the soups that we eat as a family, (laughs) which is to be expected, I suppose. But I've been working to try and have other options for them at the table. Mm -hmm. And so often there are carrots or other vegetables in whatever soup we're eating. And so I just have those separate for them to be able to eat. Yeah. And then I've also been making biscuits, Mm. which is not health food, but is really delicious and we all enjoy them. Yeah.
1: No regrets.
0: (laughs) This is a recipe by Peter Reinhardt. You put in a whole stick of butter. Yes. And you freeze it first so it gets really hard, and then you grate it. And then once you have the dough made, you pat it into a little rectangle, and then fold it into thirds, and you smush that down, and then fold it into thirds again. Mm. And you do it a few times, and that gives it the flaky layers Mm -hmm. so that instead of just being a drop biscuit, it really pulls apart into these amazing pieces. That sounds so good. And the recipe calls for using cream. I usually don't have cream on hand, Mm -hmm. so I make it with the whole milk that we have, Mm -hmm. and it's still delicious. But I'm sure using cream with more fat would be even better.
1: (laughs) Next level.
0: (laughs) Yes. And I love how simple they are and how we usually have all the ingredients for it. Mm -hmm. So we can just throw it together. How long does it take to do all those steps, do you think? I think it even calls for some, like, letting the biscuits rest Mm. after you cut them out and put them on a pan. I usually don't have time for that, so (laughs) I often just put them in the oven once it gets preheated. But I think they only bake for maybe 15 minutes, and then doing all the mixing together I mean, just takes a few minutes. Awesome. So it's not long, but if you follow the recipe step by step, it would take longer. Fair enough. That's all for this episode of Friendlier.
1: It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can connect with us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or by emailing us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please recommend it to a friend who you think would also like it. Until next time,
0: may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly.
1: So I recently finished listening to elephant. I always want to say elephant.
0: Yeah, I know. Me too. Whenever I see that, yep. I practiced saying that word before because I knew it was going to create problems. (laughs) Love it. Okay. And I still can't do it. I I can't do it. I can't do it. But you You said it right
1: once. I did. Okay.